Father in heaven, teach us good judgment and knowledge, for we believe in your commandments. You are good and do good. Teach us your statutes so that we may keep your precepts with our whole hearts. Delight in your law and learn your will in Christ. Hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in God's word to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to consider this uh, chapter in light of what the Catechism also has to teach us about the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. And so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19 and reading through verse 34. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. What we always need to be thinking about personal property, material, um, and even so, we have to think about the, the Eighth Commandment, that we should not steal. This might be particularly necessary for the church, uh, because in the early 90s, a George Barnapole was taken of professing Christians, and they were asked, do you break the Eighth Commandment? Uh, do you ever break the Eighth Commandment? Um, 86% of those polled claim that they are completely satisfying God's requirement um, concerning the Eighth Commandment. of of Christians are perfectly keeping this commandment. Um, So maybe this is just one we could skip because we seem to have it wired. Um, Well, of course, that's because people don't really understand the the length and breadth of that commandment. Um, Most people think, well, you know, I don't 
I'm not out boosting cars. I'm not doing. I'm not. I'm not a thief in that regard. One one commentator said, you know, we'd all would be we would resent being called thieves. We would never rob a bank or steal a car, and we would be indignant if anyone accused us of stealing. Um, and so maybe this is one of those commandments that's easy for people to think, well, you know, I'm keeping this just fine. Um, we, we could talk about other things that I have trouble with, but this one I, I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on. And of course, usually when we feel that way about the law, it's because we don't fully understand it, uh, that we don't understand the, the, the length and the detail of what God is calling his people to do. And so we always want to think about his law and remember what God has called us to not do and what God has called us to do, that we might honor him rightly from his law. And so I don't think we probably all have the Eighth Commandment wired, uh, so I'm, I'm going to preach on it anyway, um, and in the hopes that it might help deepen our understanding of what God calls us to, um, and in understanding the law better, that we would understand better the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in his law keeping. Um, and so as we've always been reminding ourselves, the law comes to us in two ways, the things that God forbids and the things that God positively wants us to do. Um, and tonight we're considering that in light of personal property. Um, how does God think about it? How does he want us to think about it? And how does that affect how we think about the Eighth Commandment? And so we want to think about the personal property we have as being God's gift. I think that's the place we have to start, that all personal property is God's gift to his people. Um, when we understand that, right, then we understand his prohibition against stealing his good gifts. And then we understand how we are properly to use the gifts that God has given to us. And so that's how we want to think about uh, this commandment together. Personal property as God's gifts, the prohibition against stealing God's gifts, and the protection of God's gifts as we live our lives. Um, personal property as God's gift, that's what we really need to understand as we come to this commandment. As we think about personal property, it's important for us to start with that basic understanding. Why do we have what we have? Where does it come from? How are we to think about that? Um, and we know that everything we have comes to us from God. Everything we have is God's gift to us. You know, we, we can make the mistake of thinking we need spiritual gifts when it comes to salvation, when it comes to religious things, spiritual things. God needs to do that for us. But when it comes to material things, I do those for myself. Um, that, I, that I work and I earn, and that's, that's how it comes to me. And so I need God for those other things. I don't need God so much for material. And of course, what we come to in Scripture and what we have to remind ourselves over and over again is we don't have anything that we've not been given. Nothing spiritual, but also nothing material. Everything that we have comes to us as a gift of a good God. Um, it's, it's a testimony to His generosity, of His care for us. And so if we understand that everything comes to us as God's gift to us, then we understand that we have an obligation to use the things we're given in the way that's pleasing to him. That's when we use that language of stewards. Um, all the time when you talk about Christians and possessions, you always hear people talking about stewardship. Um, and that's, boys and girls, just a way of saying God, someone's given you something and entrusted it to you, and you're to use it, but you're going to owe them an account of how you use it. Um, and that's, that's how we're going to think about uh, these things. They're God's gifts to us, and God wants to, us to use his gifts in ways that are pleasing to him. Um, and I liked one commentator who said, well, you can basically have three, three um, 
It's been a long day. Uh, Three, you know, attitudes towards, that's the word I'm looking for. Three attitudes towards possessions, right? We can have uh, the attitude of a thief, which is what's yours is mine and I'll take it. Um, We can have a selfish attitude when it comes to possessions. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Um, And God wants us to have a Christian attitude to the things that we have. To look at what we have in this life and say, what's mine is God's, and I'll share it. Um, that's, that's the attitude we're to have when it comes to our personal possessions. They've been given to us as gifts from God, and God has told us how he wants them to be used. And the first thing that God wants us to understand is he does give us these things for our use. Um, There are all kinds of laws in the Old Testament protecting personal property. And that's because the Old Testament recognizes these are things that God has given to his people, and those possessions are theirs as gifts of him to them. And those properties are to be protected. Uh, the, The things we have, even though we're stewards of them, they really do belong to us. That's how God talks about them, as the things that he's given to us for our use. At the same time, he says, you, you use those things for your good and as much as you can for the good of your neighbor. That one of the things the Bible reminds us over and over again is why do we work? Not just to support ourselves, but that so we might have things to share with those who are in need. Um, and that's why God has called us together as a covenant community. So that those of us who have more can help with those who have less And so that everybody has enough. Uh, That's the beauty of what God has done in the church. Again, the church is not just for our spiritual welfare and benefit. It's also for our material welfare and our benefit. Um, And and it's been good as I've gotten to know the church a little bit and gotten out to visit people to see how much people in this church are caring for one another and going and checking on one another, not just spiritually, but also materially to make sure that people are are doing well. And that's what God wants us to do, right? To, to use the gifts we have, not just for our own good, but to see who's in need and where can I help, that we, that we manage the things that we've been given wisely um, and frugally so that we can share with those who are in need. Um, we're not to, as, as the catechism says, you know, pointlessly squander the things that God has given to us. Um, they're to be used to the right end that he's given them to us. And so, The scriptures teach very clearly that God gives us these things and he gives us these things for our enjoyment. Um, He wants us to share them with those in need. We have some guidelines in scripture, some sort of rules of thumb, you know, tithing. That's a a good measure of how much of what we have we ought to give to the Lord um, as a return of gratitude for what he's done for us. Um, But some people have struggled and said, okay, now once I've tithed and once I've helped with people in need, if I have money left over? Am I allowed to use that for my own benefit? Or am I somehow doing something wrong um, in using the things that the Lord has given me for my own enjoyment? How are we to think about those things, right? I've, I've done my giving. I, I've been diligent in that. I'm meeting the needs of my family. I'm helping those who are in need. And so what, what can I do with what I have left over? Um, how am I to regard those things? Um, and I think that's a very real question to be answered, because I think there's a lot of bad teaching out there on what Christians ought to do with their possessions. Um, And I think a nice moderate position is the position that 
that Calvin taught, uh, that God gives us these things, and like with everything else, we are to use them in a way that contributes to godliness. Um, One of the things that Calvin very helpfully said is, you know, we need to think as Christians of this life as a pilgrimage, that we are are trying to hasten our way to the heavenly city, Um, and we don't want to be carrying anything that we don't need or that's going to slow us down. Right, and there he's just, he's, he's parroting the book of Hebrews that says, you know, we, we want to run the race with endurance. And, and you don't see marathoners carrying big backpacks, right? They're trying to carry as little as possible because they've got a long way to run. I get tired just watching it. But, you know, they've got a long way to run. They don't want to be carrying extra weight. And Calvin says, you know, the Christian life is like that. We have, it's a race. We're trying to get to the end of this endurance race, and you don't want to be carrying anything that's going to slow you down. And he said, what are the kinds of things that can slow us down in this life? He said, well, if you get too attached to the things of this world, if you're too much after the pursuit of luxury and indulgence, as Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And there's a danger, Calvin says, that we can be so tied up with the things of this world, so entangled with luxury uh, that we get entangled and it, help, it hinders us from really running the race that God's called us to run. Uh, we see that being expressed in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, where is the Lord? There's a sense in which you could be too tied up with the things of this world, too busy accumulating the things of this world and lose sight of God. Become too indulgent of the things of this world in ways that God's not meant them to be used. Right? It's a fine line going from wine gladdens the heart in Psalms to being in Proverbs where you know, you're, you're falling down drunk and you have red eyes and you're, you're wounded and don't remember where it came from and are just wondering where you're going to get your next drink. Right? The, the part of the Christian life is not being so pursuing the things of this world that we lose sight of God. But I also like that there's a flip side of that too, isn't there? That you can be so austere in the way that you live, that it interferes with your walk. The wisdom of Proverbs says, I don't want riches, but I don't want poverty either. Um, because I know that, that too little also faces me with spiritual challenges. There's such a thing as, you know, too little, too, too much austerity. Um, and, I, and I think there are Christian austerity preachers just as the way there are Christian prosperity preachers. Let's say, you know, that God wants to give you everything. Well, that's not true. We're promised spiritual wealth, not physical wealth. But they're also austerity preachers. They make it sound as if you have to kind of strip down to the bare essentials in this life. And I think the concern there is that it makes our God a kind of bread and water God. He's a utilitarian God. You know, he's the God who lives in the apartment beneath you and is banging on the roof all the time with a broom handle saying, it sounds like someone's having fun up there. You know, is that the kind of God we serve? Is that the kind of God we see in creation? Is God not a generous God? Does God not give us gifts to enjoy? 
And that's what I appreciate as we, as we survey the scriptures and we think about God. God is not an austere God. God is an open-handed and generous God. He made, he made this creation, but it's not mere utilitarian creation. It's, it's good. It has plenty in it to enjoy. Right? God gave us food. And not just the food that you know, is the bare essential to keep us alive, but food that tastes good, that's good for enjoyment. Um, he's given us flowers. Um, you know, Calvin, Calvin going through and thinking about the flowers says, you know, that there's something in flowers that's not, strictly speaking, necessary. You know, God could have made a world without flowers, without beautiful things that smelled good and looked good and were just to enjoy. But that's not the kind of world he made. You know, the Garden of Eden was filled with good things that were pleasing to the eye, that were good for food, that it was a place filled with gold and jewels and all these things that are not strictly speaking necessary for life. But it's because God is good and fulsome in how he gives things. He's generous and wants his gifts to be enjoyed. And I worry that if we preach too much austerity in the Christian life, a sort of stripped down to its bare essentials Christian life, we're actually robbing it of the glory that God has created it with. That God is a generous God. And that undue austerity can also be something that hinders you in running your race. Right? We can, we can strip down to a kind of monastic way of looking at life. Um, and we see from history that that's not the way to higher spirituality. That you can live a stripped-down life in a bare cell and still be devoid of true Christian service and love to neighbor. And so we have to remember that God has given us these things to enjoy, to be used the way he wants them used, but also to enjoy them. They're to be our enjoyment, they're to be our delight, um, and that God delights when we use the things that he's given us to his glory. That God is pleased when we use these things and enjoy them. That's what he's given them to us for. That's the attitude we're to have towards the gifts God gives us. Um, and that's the attitude we're to have towards the gifts God has given other people. Just as he's given us things to enjoy, he's given other people things to enjoy. And that's how the, this commandment on stealing is brought to the focus. We have the right understanding of property that what's given to us is given to us as gifts by God, therein is the motivation not to steal something that's not yours. Because what you're really taking from someone else then is the gift that God has given them. For their need, for their use, for their enjoyment, you're robbing them of that. And that's why when we understand why God gives what he gives, we understand why you shouldn't take it away from someone else. Um, that we're not to take the things that belong to other people. God has given the things we need for us, and he's given our neighbors the things they need, and we are not to take them. And being a sinful people, we've found a million different ways to steal from people. Uh, that's what I appreciate about question 110, is it gets down to, it gets past what I think the Barna survey is touching on with people. Right? When it says, he, God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, right? not positively criminal things that the government is set up to punish, but it includes evil tricks and schemes, 
designed to get our neighbors good for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. It gives us a window into what kind of people we are, doesn't it? That, that, we, that people have used all, all these sorts of things to try to defraud us. Um, I got a bunch of calls this week from someone saying that there was a warrant out for my arrest from the Social Security Bureau and that they had suspended my card and I was to call them immediately. Um, so I might be arrested at any moment. Um, carry on without me if that happens. I'm not real worried about it. Um, but you know that that's a scam. It's somebody trying to, to scare me into submitting to some sort of scam. People engage in that kind of thing all the time. Um, there's, a, there's a Norman Rockwell painting uh, that has you know, a woman buying a, a turkey at a butcher's counter and um, she's smiling at him and he's smiling at her and meanwhile the, the butcher has his thumb on the scale trying to make the turkey weigh more that she can't see. And on the other side, the woman has her fingers under the scale and is lifting it up that he can't see. And they're both smiling at each other and they're both trying to steal each other and rob each other blind, right? It's a very, it's a very cute picture, but it, it does capture what we're like. Um, if I can put my thumb on the scale a little bit, if I can lift it up a little bit, take a little bit off of that, you know, that's just, that's just you know, sharp business. Um, you know, we can have this sort of buyer beware kind of attitude. Um, that we, we carry out in the world. And God says, you know, we're capable of doing all kinds of things. Things that aren't maybe illegal, but they're certainly unethical. Um, there's certainly ways that we are cheating our neighbor. And the law is telling us there's no room for that in the Christian life. That all of that is just what you're doing at the end of the day is stealing the gifts that God has given to your neighbor. Um, and, and there's just no place for that in the Christian life. And it happens all over our world. Um, Businesses steal from employees by not offering fair compensation. Employees steal from businesses. It's estimated that employee theft of some kind, whether it's time or supplies or false expense reports, costs businesses over $200 billion a year. Um, And that up to a third of a product's price goes to making up for some form of stealing that occurs on a product's way to market. Right? It's built into our, stealing is almost built into the price of something we buy. Um, that's, how, that's how much it's, it's going on. And we can steal tangible things, we can steal intangible things. Um, people's freedom is taken. Um, it can be taken in slavery, it can be taken in human trafficking. People steal each other's dignity. That's essentially what racism or sexism or any of those kinds of isms are, stealing somebody's dignity. We can steal someone's good name. Right? We, we can rob someone of their good name. Luther said it's easy to take someone's name away. It's hard to restore it to them once you've taken it. Well, we can steal in all sorts of ways. In, in, a, in the broadest sense, we could say every one of the Ten Commandments is some form of robbery. Right, that we're, not, we're robbing God of the worship that's due His name. We're robbing God of the honor that's due His name. We're robbing God of the holy day that's due to Him. We're robbing the authorities of the respect that we owe them. We're robbing our neighbor of his life. We're robbing our neighbor of his wife. We're robbing ourselves of the truth and our neighbor of the truth. We're robbing ourselves of contentment. Um, every, every one of those commandments could be boiled down to theft. 
And the reason it's, it's such a bad thing is because when we do that, we're essentially saying to God, you're not providing me with what I need. And I have to go take it for myself. That for the Christian especially, theft is just a measure of a lack of trust. And that's what, that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 6, going from laying up treasures in heaven and not worrying about not having enough in this life. Because we have a God who knows what we need and has promised to give it. We don't need to steal to survive. Um, and when we do that, it not only shows a lack of faith, but a, a messed up priority. That we prize the things of this life more than we prize the wealth that lasts. Because when we operate with a contentment over what God has given to us, and when we use the things that God has given to us in the proper way, um, we're showing that we, we trust Him, and that we're obedient to Him, that we submit to Him, and that there are more important things than the things of this world. Um, that's essentially what we want to, to be doing as Christians, to recognize the things of this world are not ultimate. That, the, that fixing our hearts and minds and our attention on the things of this world at the end of the day is very foolish. Because moth and rust can destroy it. Thieves can break in and steal it. Or think about what Jesus says in Luke 12 when he says to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's the opposite. Bearing up for yourself or do you want to be rich towards God? Because the things of this world we can't use, we can't be assured that we can use it even if we could store it up. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 49.10, For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. We can't, we can't take it with us. We say that all the time. You can't take it with you. But sometimes we act like as if we could. And we treat it with that kind of importance. And God doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to so need these things that we take them. He wants us to be those who protect the things that he's given to us and that he's given to others. And we see that protection in question 111. How are we to, how are we to act in this commandment, that I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, and that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. See how opposite the Christian attitude is to the worldly attitude. That my, my ultimate goal is to help my neighbor. That's what I'm shooting to do, to do my neighbor good. So not just not to harm them, but positively to do what I can to help them. To do what I can and do what I may to support my neighbor. Uh, that, I, that I follow the golden rule, that I treat them the way I would like to be treated. Right? Nobody wants a thumb on the scale when they're buying something. 
When you're selling something, you don't want people's fingers under the scale lifting it up. Um, That's not how we want to be treated. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, even a thief thinks it's wrong when he gets stolen from. Um, You know, pick, pick pick someone's pocket and they'll know it's wrong to be stolen from, that we, we protect our neighbor's good as much as we can, treat others the way we'd like to be treated by them, and to share with those who can't meet their needs. And, and if we're struggling with what that looks like, then all we need to do is look to our Lord Jesus Christ, who had everything, right? Who was in heaven, equal with his Father, and didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself of everything that he had for those who were poor in spirit and who couldn't do for themselves. But that, that's who we are. We're the poor. We're the ones who are in need. We're the ones who couldn't provide for ourselves. And there was the Lord in all of his wealth and richness, and he emptied himself of all of that that he might give to us. That's how his ministry is is, is talked about in Psalm 69, verse 4. He restored what he took not away. He didn't steal anything, but he came to give to those who were in need. And he did that by coming into this world as someone who was in need. He was not born into a wealthy family. You know, somebody pointed out that if, if Jesus had been born into this world, king of the world with all the glories that would have come with it, he still would have, would have taken a huge pay cut. He still would have taken a huge downstep in glory, but he didn't come to be one of the great ones of the world. He came to be born in poverty. His parents give the offering that was given by poor people when they came to dedicate him. Uh, that's how he lived his life. Uh, it's amazing to think that the one who made the whole world had to say in this life, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And why did he do that? So that he might come to us in our poverty and make us rich. That, that's the glory of his love for us. Um, he's, James 2.5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? He came to those who had nothing to restore to them not what he took away, but what we pointlessly squandered because we had it all in the garden. We had fellowship with God. We had everything that we needed for life and we threw it away. And he humbled himself to become like us that he he would restore what he took not away and give us something far beyond what we ever had before that we would be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ so that all that was his could be ours. That's how he lived his life. That's how he calls his people to live their lives. Not to store up the things of this world, but to store up the glories of the riches of the world to come. In him we have everything we need. Um, And we're to be looking out for our neighbor's good as he looked out for our good. That's how we keep and honor him in the eighth commandment. By recognizing that everything we have is God's. And that he's given to us for use the way he wants it and for our enjoyment. 
You don't have to feel guilty about enjoying the things that God has given you. But never make them ultimate things in your life. Um, Always be looking for those riches that Christ came to give by his suffering and death, that we might be rich toward the things of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we know our own hearts and that we can find many ways to grasp after things that are not ours. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us when we do that, for we have in Christ all that we need. and We've been given far more than we can even ask or imagine. So help us to be content in this life with the things that you've given to us. Help us to use them aright for your glory, for our neighbor's good, to do with those things you've given to us that which is pleasing in your sight. Help us never to be involved in taking what you've given to others, but rather using what we've been given for their good, to build them up, treating them the way we would like to be treated in a way that will honor and glorify you. Thank you for the example that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave everything, even his life, that he might save us from our sins and might make us rich towards you in spiritual blessing. Thank you for his service and sacrifice. Help us to live in a way that's pleasing in his sight, for we pray in his name. Amen.